Okay, so, um, you know, I, I mentioned already that I wanted to, to talk about this, uh, this kingdom, little kingdom parable, the parable of the, the growing seed. And uh, uh, th this is, like I said, it's a small parable, but it has a lot, you're going to see it has a lot of life in it. There's a lot of life to pull out of it. I was thinking about little things with a lot of life that were potent. And this is going to kind of dovetail together because I also wanted to update everybody. I've been away for a couple of, of weekends and uh, it was something we had never done before. So I know some of you were praying for us when we were away. We actually went on a family trip. We, we, we left the day uh, after Christmas uh, weekend and we headed out. We had never done anything like it before. Left the country, went to Peru, uh, wanted to hike to Machu Picchu and uh, it was actually not my idea. I was joining on. Uh, um, my kids, who are all adults now, they're all in their 20s, they came up with this idea of, of making a trip together and, and doing a journey to the Andes and doing a hike and then uh, maybe try to squeeze in a little time in the Amazon, something we had never done before. And I said, well, I'd be open. They said, we're all going to pay for ourselves. I said, I'm really open now. I'm very open. I said, that's great. That's the first time. Wow, that happened. Uh, and so they organized it. It was a little lower budget. It was, there had elements of roughing it, but it was worth it. And it was a great joy to have them all together. It's very rare. All your kids, they have four children. They're all in their uh, 20s now, I mentioned, and they're all adults. And to have them all together, um, one of whom's married with, her, with our son-in-law, it was a tremendous blessing. I'll show you, uh, the trip itself starts, uh, the, we, we decided to go on a hike. What happened, to, I mean, a hike is a maybe a nice way of describing what we started into. <laughs> Uh, it was a three to four day journey of about 26 miles or so, and it involved huge elevation gains at what started already at a high elevation, which was about over 8,000 feet. And, you know, we're, we're sea level here in San Francisco. I go to the Sierras a lot and do backpacking. Nothing quite prepared me for the elevation gain that we have. I remember flying into Cusco, Peru at, at 11,000, and I was just walking up the steps to where we were staying at the, the little hotel that we were at through the streets, the cobblestone street. I was shocked. My heart was like, boom, 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 It was hard. I could feel the lack of oxygen. So I thought, well, boy, it's, it's going to be very interesting to, to go from 8,000 something to 14,000, which was the height of where we were going. And all we were carrying was a little backpack. I mean, it was just like a day pack. It had stuff in it. It was a lot of water there. But I mean, it, it, it was hard. It was hard, and uh, a lot of it was up uphill and, and mountain steps after another. And um, just a fact, my you, you know, I'll show you. We'll show you a little picture of where we were at the beginning of our time together, the beginning of the Inca Trail. Also gives you an idea. I don't do this all the time, so if you, it's not like vacation photos, uh, you know. But I, I do. My the one with the hand up is that's that's my my son. That's my uh, youngest son Jacob, and then next to him is my our youngest daughter Aubrey. And then the one in the red, that's my, our oldest son, Caleb. And then the one, the one in the middle with the hat, the ha I call her the happy hiker, right? That's my wife. That's, she's the happy hiker. Um, she wasn't looking like that, but I'll tell you a little bit later. Uh, uh, that 14,000 one, that, that's called, I think, Widow's Peak or something. And it, Dead Widow's Peak. And it, it lived up to his billing. And the, but she did great, actually. And then you can see next to her uh, is my daughter, our oldest daughter, Chloe, and her husband, Tim. And they were the, really the primary organizers of the trip. And then I'm behind there kind of getting ready to go with them. And so we ended up having a great time. One of the things that happened, though, on the trip, and kind of where the connection is between this little powerful little parable, was that um, you know where they, we had a guide, and we had about oh, 12 porters, which was required for our camp. They, porters are basically Ketchens, um, high mountain people who live in Peru, men who 
um, are very, very small of stature, but stunningly powerful and capable of carrying things. Not unlike, say, um, Sherpas, in, and I mean that in the best, best way in, in near Tibet, the same principle. They, these, these guys were very impressive. We, were, we started to have a very challenging time just with a day pack going up the altitude swings that we did. These guys were stunning. Uh, I was shocked to watch sometimes what they could do. I mean, we were talking about, they would, you would give them a, I don't want to go into too much, maybe I am going into detail, way too much detail around. So the, I give, you give them a duffel bag, you put your bed, sleeping bag in it and maybe a pad and, and a couple of other clothing items. They would carry that. Some of them were carrying food, some of the basis of a most rudimentary camp. They were all carrying, basically what I'm trying to get at is they were carrying 60 to 70 pound packs of huge elevation gains. Um, I'll give you a little picture. This is the picture of them coming down. It's in the rain. It won't capture the, the incline that they went up, but it does show you a little bit about what I'm talking about. Look at these guys. I mean, they're, they were amazing. They were, again, small stature, mountain people. They were accustomed to the elevation. And some of them had, no, I was looking at their shoes. I was, uh, some of them had boots. Some of them had tennis shoes. One guy had low top converse, right? And it was like, I was going, what are you doing? But it was intense and it was impressive. And uh, again, small but powerful. And I was impressed with them, very impressed with them. And it reminded me of this parable. Sometimes we underestimate a package because of its size. We forget how potent it can be. This is one of those parables. It gets overlooked a lot because it's right on the backside of a larger parable of Jesus that is called the parable of the sower. And it's, it's got, the parable of the sower is lengthy and it has, you know, it's interpreted by Jesus. Talking about this, the farmer scattering the seed on the different types of soil. Really extensive parable. Right underneath it is this one. It's small. It's often read past and no one even really appreciates it. It's got so much in it. And on top of it, this parable that we're about to look at, this parable has exceptional meaning for me because it's connected to an incident that occurred in this church about 30 years ago. And it's something that really affected my life. And I'll, I'll talk, or at least it, 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 was a, it was kind of a remarkable moment. And I'm gonna share that with you towards the end of the message. I wanna, I wanna talk about the parable itself. For some of us, this will be foundational. I'm gonna challenge you to think and listen and to try to understand at least a part of what Jesus is getting at here. And then uh, we'll spend some time trying to apply it into our lives. But let's start by just reading it through. You can follow along your Bible, uh, your Bible app if you have that, or in the handout, it's right there, perfectly designed for us to share it. Oh, and let me just say this real fast. Uh, the kingdom of God, you hear it, you read the story of Jesus, you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, you see it come up all the time, not just there, but that's, it dominates this phrase, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is always talking about such is the kingdom. What is that? What does he mean? He's, in the largest sense, the broadest sense, theologically, it talks about the fact that God rules over everything in the universe from time before time begins till time ends as we know it. He is the king. But in its more narrow sense, especially as Jesus used it, it has to do with those who are willing to allow the rule and reign of God in their lives by welcoming into their hearts the king who has come and his loving realm, let it work in our lives. It's a choice to yield to the kingdom that he presents. The kingdom like no other, the kingdom of love, the kingdom of the only begotten son, the kingdom of Jesus. That's the kingdom of God. So with that in mind, let's look at this 
Mark 4, verses 26 to 29, he said, Jesus said, that is, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a man who um, should scatter seed on the ground. He's talking about a farmer. He's using an illustration. He's saying, and then he makes the point. He says, and he sleeps and, and rises night and day. I mean, he does the planting. He scatters the seed. And then he begins to wait. And he goes to sleep and he rises day and night. And then something happens. A miracle of sorts, if you will. It sprouts that seed. And after a certain space of time, it starts to grow. And he knows not how the earth produces by itself. There's kind of a mystery to what's happening under the surface. But then he sees it, Jesus says. First the blade pops up out of the ground. And then it grows until it has an ear. Something that holds the fruit. And then the corn, Jesus says, the full corn in the ear. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. There's a melody to it. And he says the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, essentially what Jesus is saying is that this kingdom message, this message about the king who has come, about him and his realm, it's like a, he's saying, do not underestimate its power. Like a seed, it has life force in it. Like a seed, it has life in it. Um, when it's sown, when it's scattered, when it's declared, it will bring forth, Jesus says, it will bring forth some kind of a harvest. It cannot be stopped in that sense. You know, sometimes I think some of us may wonder, and if I could shift it this way, who, some of those of us who follow Jesus, does our service for him really make a difference? Really, does it, does it really, when it's all said and done, um, matter? Does, it, does, does sharing on his behalf when we have the opportunity, can it really make a difference? Do, you know, when we talk about living out our faith in Jesus, our mission statement, and inviting others into life with him, does that, does that really matter, you know? Um, some of us, you know, we may wonder, does it, when I have that opportunity, say, at a BART station, or in the airport, or at a bus, bus stop, or a mini stop, or riding in an Uber, standing in line somewhere and I have a casual conversation with a stranger and we get into it and I talk about somehow indirectly that I start to talk about the Lord. I might be talking about church and it ends up talking in some small way about the Lord in my life. I, does that make any difference? You know, the idea of someone, I was talking about someone upstairs sharing in a, in a room uh, with children who've been come, who've been come to church on a, on a Sunday to learn about Jesus because that matters to their parents or parent, and they bring them in, and there's a teacher there teaching in a cramped but very creative space as best as they can, planting seeds that will never, ever leave them. I know that's what happened with me. I used to go to Sunday school when I was a boy, not always wanting to, but the seeds got planted. The stories planted, I learned them. They're part of my life. They never left me through the, all the time to this moment. It's always been a part of me planted by someone who cared, someone who loved, someone who was a volunteer who gave their best to be the blessing for things they may not even live to see. Wow. Some of us may wonder, does it really matter, you know, if I invest myself, some of you are younger parents or some of you are just parent, you know, grandparents maybe even, and you, does it matter if, if your dog tired and you, you decide you're going to read a Bible story anyway to your son and your daughter because it, it's just something you want them to be able to have 
does that matter? I'm going to suggest it does. The sacrificial leading of a, of a, of a small group or a, at a home, you know, when you're trying to be hospitable perhaps and just host and, and you're already tired from work, but you decided to do it, you committed to do it, you want to facilitate that, you want to help, help people have a discussion and pray for one another and be community together. Does that even matter time after week after week after week? Or how about the people who maybe sometimes are out in that parking lot? And I'll tell you this right now. Um, you want to talk about unsung heroes in our church. Identify a person with a neon vest who's parking those cars. And maybe if you feel led to, tell them, I bless you in the name of Jesus and I thank you for your sacrificial, if I may say it, heroic service that you do to give others a chance to experience the goodness and the grace of God in a safe place. Thank you. A lot of times people are wondering, does it even matter? Um, beyond just even human acknowledgement, does it matter? Does teaching from a platform like this with people who've come to the Lord's house for a variety of different reasons, does it even matter? I'm going to suggest it does. It matters at the end of the day. What does this parable teach us about the nature of the kingdom, about the way God works among us? It has so much. I mean, but it, what it is suggesting is that the seed, once it's planted, this message, once it's planted, is a dynamic, unwearying, unstoppable force that even when we are weary or we waver um, and are needed of rest or replenishment, that the seed grows invisibly, uh, invincibly, over time and over space in ways seen and unseen with generational impact that can never fully be appreciated nor understood nor perceived. The life of the kingdom is the seed. It's in the message. Paul, who was a former, who was an intellectual and religiously very well attuned to his day, but not a believer in Jesus. In fact, he hated Jesus. Let's be clear. And he hated the people who claimed to follow the dead Nazarene. And that was, that was part. Of, so you had an intellectual man who hated the Christians, basically, and had a perception of what it represented. And he despised it. And he was smart. And he was also violent, which is a bad combination. And he, 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 he wanted to, to tear down the things of Jesus, anybody related to it. Well, eventually his life was stunningly shifted. He experiences, he meets the Lord. His life flips. And he goes from being the most significant persecutor of the early church to the greatest advocate of Jesus this world has ever seen in terms of impact. And, and, and you know what he said? And I put this in your hand out there. He said, I am not ashamed. You can see it there in Romans 1.16. I am not ashamed of this good news about Jesus Christ, about Christ. It's the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes, the Jew first and also the Gentile, Jew and the Greek. Basically, he says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because you know what I found it to be? The power of God. It's the power of God. It's the very life force of God. There have been times where I've been ashamed of me. There's been times I've been a little ashamed of we, and I mean that in the collective sense as well. But I, I, I never want to be ashamed of him and the good news of, of who he is and what he has done and what he can do, the beautiful one. So there are two things Jesus says essentially here. You can see it presuppositionally that guarantee to harvest success. I want to just put them up, just at least acknowledge it. The first one he says is very related to what I just shared here. He says the first thing that guarantees the harvest success is, is the beauty and the power of the gospel of love in and of itself. That benevolent life force of the seed itself. The power of the message itself. 
That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is powerful. He's saying is, even when it is sent out imperfectly, it has power. Even when it looks like nothing's happening, don't underestimate what can happen. He, he's reminding us that there is a power, life, a life force in the very message itself contains power. I am not ashamed of the message of Jesus. For it is the power of God and the salvation to all who believe, Jew first, also the Greek, everyone, every human being. This is something that he was very aware of. But the second thing this parable teaches us is not only the power of the seed, the message, but also, interestingly enough, the thirst that's in the heart of every human being, the thirst of the human heart, the essential receptivity of the soil is also being alluded to. What, what, what the Lord is getting at is that, and, and, and by the way, what it's saying is that there's a part of the human identity is a part of us that is uniquely tailored for God and in fact can find true fulfillment in no other place. That's what Jesus taught us. That there is an exclusive place that only, only in the human heart that only God can actually attach itself to and bring, and bring to a point of fruition. That there, there is a satisfaction, a yearning, a quest in the human spirit that even though it can be covered with all kinds of veneer and prosperity and whatever else, sophistication of culture, that at the core, human beings are created for God. To know him, to love him, to be with him. And that is an essential, again, presupposition of this. Now, Christian thinkers for generations have pondered this. You go all the way back to the early church, one of the great theologians of the church, um, St. Augustine, Augustine as he's sometimes called, in the late 300s, he wrote a statement. He was an African, uh, northern African theologian who had had his life radically transformed by Jesus. He wrote this, think about it, 300, in the 300s. I mean, that's a long time ago. And he wrote this word that many have lived off of for, for generations now, of followers of Jesus. He said this, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart truly, it is restless until it rests in you. Now, push forward into the 1600s another very intelligent man who was actually a child prodigy. In his days, French. He was a mathematician, an inventor. Uh, he was a physicist. He was also um, a theologian. And he wrote in his book, Pascal did in the book Penzies, this statement that I don't want us to rush past. It's gonna invite some of us to wrestle with it. I wanna put it up there because it shows again how he's thinking about this, oh, this this, this whole, this, this, this need that we have as human beings that only God actually can address. Look what he says. He says, what else does this craving, this helplessness proclaim but that there was once in man, in human beings, a true happiness of which all that now remains is the empty print and trace. The residue of it is there, but not its real thing. This he tries, look what Pascal goes on to say, this he tries in vain to fill with everything around him Think about how people try to address their needs. This he tries in vain to fill with everything around him, seeking in things that are not there the help he cannot find in those that are. That is fascinating. Think, seeking to find in things that are there the help that he, can, that he cannot find in things that are, right? That are. It's almost like there's this yearning for something that he, we want, but we can't find it. It's why there's such, I think, restlessness at times 
in the, in the world, clearly, <laughs> clearly, we have a crazy world. It, it, it's intense. And we're not totally sheltered anymore. It used to be the oceans protected us. This young nation, relatively speaking, in terms of history and span and scope, a few hundred years, not long. Kingdoms rise and kingdoms fall. I'm, I'm simply saying we have a restless culture. You know it, I know it. Even if we've only sort of part of this culture, we understand it's like it's churning with such intensity and such anger and such feelings and passions and pitying. And it's just a very unusual time for us. It's not even mentioning the fact that there is sometimes a collective yearning in our own hearts. People yearn for something. A lot of times they don't know what it is. They try to, if I can achieve this power, if I make this amount of money, if I can have these possessions, if I have this person in my life. But nothing quite solves the yearning. It's almost like there's a part, as Pascal was getting at, that only God truly can fill. Like this, this infinite abyss can be filled only with an infinite immutable object. In other words, by God himself. It's like, that's what led some people to say, oh, there's this hole in the human heart that only God can fill. It's, it's based on people taking off of this, this statement by Pascal. And then, of course, you jump over to the Bible, where it talks about in Ecclesiastes 3, 11. Check this verse out. You, yet God has made everything beautiful for his own time. He has planted eternity in the human heart. Think about that for a moment. In us is planted a seed that longs to live. <clears throat> There is eternity in our hearts. Why am I here? I don't want to die. I want to live. Where's that come from? The yearning to love, to create, to imagine. Where did that come from? The very imprint of God, right? He says, but even so, people cannot see the whole scope. I love this. You cannot perceive the whole scope of God's work from beginning to end. It's like what it's reminding us of, we live in such a short span God sees so much more. In the big picture, God is at work. I mean, this is a stunning statement if you think about it. It's almost like God is at work in mysterious and intricate ways that extend beyond our lifetime, beyond the span of history. You see what I'm saying? Like, it's much, much bigger and much more complex. We have a very small part, but we have great meaning to him. So let's, be off of that, what something else this parable does is, is as one, it reminds us of the power of the message, as it reminds us of the need of the human heart and how it is designed to be for God, to know God, to love God, to find God, and to let God find us. But there's also some principles here about pursuing growth in our lives that I want us to sit with. In just the minutes that we have left, I want you to consider a couple of things. And the first one is this. If you look at the parable, one of the things you see when it says that he, he scatters the seed and then he, this person, Jesus says, goes and sleeps day and night and rises and sleeps and rises and sleeps for a space of time. It reminds us of and trust that something's happening even though we can't see it. It reminds us of the value of, number one, trust and alignment when it comes to moving forward and pursuing growth in our lives with God. Because a lot of times, hear me out, we don't see the results initially. Um, a lot of times uh, we, we find ourselves in a place where we have to trust him that after we've done the things or are doing the things or are positioning ourselves in the way that he would have us over a matter or in a larger context of our lives, that we're going to trust God with our lives. 
that we're going to trust God with a situation. That, there, we, that we align ourselves with him and then it's not resigning ourselves. It's trusting him that something is growing beneath the surface. That, that, that is a posture. That is an attitude that we are invited to take as we live our lives. That as we trust God with our lives, as we do what he's asking us to do, in this case, the scattering of the seed, right? That, that we can then rely on God for, the result, for results. That there's something about it. That, you know, it was like um, uh, President Lincoln, I think, during the Civil War, some of the, it didn't look good. There was a period of time where it was, we called the dark days. It didn't look good. And someone came up to him and said to him, he uh, said, well, I hope, I sure hope God is on our side. And Lincoln turned and, and said, you know, it's not so much if, if God is on our side. I just, I just hope we're on God's side. That's a very different thing he was saying. He goes, I just want to be aligned with him, with him, with God. The results are in his hands. It's a very different a way of approaching something, isn't it? See, if we're confident of alignment, like we've done what I'm supposed to do, not perfect, not perfect, but I'm trusting you with my life, Lord. I'm leaning into you as my, as my king. I'm trying to live by your principles and abide in your words. I'm trying to align myself and trust you. If we are confident that we are aligning, listen, then we can trust him with the results. Hear me out. When, you, when we are confident that we are doing what we're essentially supposed to do, we're trying to bring our attitudes into alignment, the way we're constructing our lives into alignment, there might be situations that we go, I don't know how this is going to work, but I am trusting that God is going to work in ways I may not even see. He's on, he's on my side. He's working with me. So it brings us to this principle. Patience, listen, with what we cannot see. We're invited into that, right? You look at that. We're, because where God is working, we cannot hurry the process. A lot of growth takes place below the surface in the realm of the unnoticed. That's what we're getting at. Jesus reminds us that much of the, the kingdom's progress proceeds in ways that actually can't be seen. Some, sometimes we're tempted that God's even working on our behalf. It's like, well, you know, it might be in someone that we love and we've been praying, we're trying, and it's like, it doesn't look like any, anything's going on. It might be a situation in our own life. We'd be like, I'm aligning myself with your truth, Lord. I'm trying to do my best, trying to honor you. I'm, I'm, oh, I'm waiting, and I, you know what? And the truth is, we look at the ground, and we go, that thing's got nothing. It's showing nothing. It's completely empty. It's like, Lord, we made a deal, right? I honor you. You bless me. Right? I honor you, you take care of this situation. I honor you, this person whom I love, they're going to come to know you or come back to knowing you. Right? Well, I'm doing my part and there's nothing. I mean, not anything. It's just dirt. <sighs> there's nothing going on. Where are you? What's happening? Why isn't anything happening? This looks exactly the same as it has always looked. How long does this... See, the whole point is... But a lot of times, the Lord reminds us is that you need to be patient with what we cannot see. Because Jesus said the kingdom is like a sea. It has a life in it. And he, he is saying that wherever that life goes, something is happening. Now, you, we, may, we may not see it. Because under the surface, we know... And the sower is the perfect analogy. Because under the surface, the grass where the seed dies... 
and then life starts to grow. But you don't, we don't see it. It's underneath. It's happening in ways we don't see. And it's so important that in those times when we don't see, because a lot of times we get discouraged by what we cannot see. It's like it's, like it's nothing. And that's the, here's the thing. When we don't see the progress, the little break, we don't see anything over time, because we're saying, I want it now. I want it now. I want it now. I made this. I did this. Now I'm ready. I'm ready. And nothing's happening. And in those moments, a lot of times, that's the key. What do we do? What do we do? Do we re stay aligned much as we can, keep our attitude right, trust God, continue to pray? The value of prayer, by the way, claiming his promises, especially when we sense a word that we're to hold on to, is that it, it just keeps us there. And instead of like getting mad at God or letting our heart get corrupted or being discouraged to a point where we just kind of like give up, whatever, we hold ourselves in alignment and trust, and we go, if I can use the analogy that Jesus gave, we rise, we go to sleep, and we rise, and we go to sleep, and we rise, and we wait for what he says will happen. Patient with what we cannot see, but yet believe, because of the innate power of the very seed itself, that Jesus says when it goes into the ground, it will bring life. First the blade, then the ear, then the corn in the ear. Right? The fruit in the ear, the, the wheat in the ear. So not only patience with what we can see, but listen to this one. Listen, what we can't see, right? But also, thirdly, patience with, here's this one may connect with some of us, patience with what we can see. So I might go, I look at it, the ground, and then like, I'm on an issue that I've been praying for, waiting for, believing for, trusting for. And all of a sudden, I just like, see, I see like a little, little sprout, like boom, pops up, like sprout, boom. Maybe one or two others. And I'm saying, that's it? I mean, that's it. That's what I get. You know how meager that is? How little that is? It's like, a sp that's, that's, that's your answer, Lord? Someone maybe asks a question. We have a small little conversation. Some modest thing happens. And we're like, this is it. That, and then all of a sudden we're going, that's it? That's it? That's it? Just so you're telling me this is the heart of it. This is like the, that. Like two blades out of the ground. Patience with what we can see, when what we see looks so little, it almost seems like it means nothing. But Jesus said, don't despise the blade when it pops. First the blade, then the ear, then the grain in the ear. It's a process. Some things happen right away. A lot of us go, I prayed, I believed, I've waited uh, two weeks, and now, <laughs> And now, boom, I want it out right there. Boom, there it is. That may happen every now and then, but the law of the kingdom Jesus is teaching us is gradual growth. First the blade, then the ear, then the grain in the ear. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. That's the gradual growth of the kingdom. That's the predominant law of the kingdom in any good endeavor. 
and it's going to require us to grow and exercise faith, especially when it's modest and meager. When we can't see it, that's obvious. I got to believe that something's going on that I can't see. But when I can't see it, it looks so small, so little, so nothing. Like that's when we got to go, you know what? Don't despise small things. Now, I will take this, if I can, all the way back full circle. I told you I was going to, to that, that situation that happened to me now, almost 30 years ago. And in a way, I guess it's become part of our church's story. I didn't intend it to ever be that. Had no idea that it was going to be that. If we have anything called lore, I suppose it's part of it. It's real. It happened. I was, uh, you know, and I mentioned this before. In 1988 is when I became pastor here. Uh, I was 25 years old. Uh, my grandfather, who had been the founding pastor, had died right before he died. It uh, is a long story, longer than we'll talk. But bottom line is, in 1988, I started pastoring. By so about a year after that, in 1989, um, this happened. Uh, I had, for that first year, with a group of wonderful people, um, tried to do whatever I could. The church was around 100 I, I, when we when I started in, and we tried to do whatever we could in terms of this the community size and. Uh, you know, try to make changes and, and try to carry that weight. And it wasn't part of a denomination, so, you know, my mentor was gone. And I was doing my best, was, wanted to try, implement change. Well, the church grew. It grew from 100 to 70. Yeah, exactly. It grew from 100 to, it, it shrunk. And uh, it shrunk. People left us. And you say, oh, so it's a difference. And I'll tell you what the difference is. It's about 33% is a big difference. It's a, third, it's a third. And you just start to, and I remember sitting after a service in particular where it felt so meager. It felt like I was, I was up, actually there, behind the balcony where the lighting board is, there, there used to be a door. There's this wall now. It, it was a little office back there. That was my office. It's the first time. And uh, I remember sitting in the office um, I was 26, I was feeling like, man, I must not have what it takes. I was feeling like a failure. I didn't know how to handle certain things. Um, we had some finances, but it was so little. We had, some of us were faithful in our tithes and offerings, but we had a very, very, uh, we, weren't, we weren't wealthy church. And so, uh, you know, we had one employee. I was it at the time, barely. And I remember that because I, after a particular weekend, Sunday, one service. I was sitting there going, man, I, I'm, I'm not doing such a great job. And I, I started feeling sorry for myself. And like, maybe, maybe this is, I got all this mixed up and I was, this was, something went wrong here. I thought I was supposed to support the pastor who had been here before. My grandfather just loved him and I was stepping in and real responsibility was being asked of me, but it looked like I wasn't the right guy. And I remember sitting up there going, Lord, I don't understand. I just feel really awful. I want to quit. And somebody had put something in the offering plate that weekend. He was a visitor. I didn't know him. Um, it said, it said um, I opened, I didn't even know the thing was there until after it was on Monday. I opened up the letter. I thought, oh, probably somebody's upset with something, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right? It's usually how it was. <laughs> All right, what did I do wrong this time? You know, so it's like, um, I'm reading it. And it said that I still have, I got to go, go, maybe I'll maybe I'll bring it. I couldn't, I didn't think about it, but this is what he said. He said, Pastor, 
today, visiting your church for the first time, the Lord spoke to me to give you this, this, this gift, this offering. He, put, he had put an offering, and it wouldn't be a lot by today's standards, but then it meant something, because it meant he wasn't just saying something. He was actually putting something of a blessing behind it. It spoke to me even more, more so about the veracity of what he was saying. He went on to say this. He says, he says, the ministry is blessed of God. He's aware and pleased. I remember where I was at reading this. I opened it up. Right, all of a sudden, I could start feeling like this water coming into my eyes. And he goes, he's aware and pleased with your faithfulness and sincerity of heart. And then he says, your every need is already met because you're seeking his face. And then he wrote in his service, and he signed his name. And then he put something on the bottom of the page, like a little asterisk, almost like a PS. And this is what it said, if you can put it up. First the blade, then the ear. After that, the full corn in the ear. And then he said, remember, remember those before you who have inherited the promises, dot, dot, through faith and patience. And then he threw this on the back end of that. He said, the Lord is touching you with encouragement today. And it hit me. And he signed his name, Oren Wright. I don't know who Oren Wright is. <laughs> I've never met Oren Wright. I have no idea what happened to Oren Wright. I never saw Oren Wright again, as far as I know of. But 30 years later, I'm talking about Oren Wright. First the blade, then the ear, then the full corn in the ear. I thought about that, the power of a word to encourage someone, what that meant at the time, how meaningful that was. Thought we were talking about how in some, and this came up in conversations after one of the services as well, like maybe some of us are actually called to be open to being what he was to someone else. I mean, I'll tell you this, I don't know, it's gonna sound like hyperbole, I'm not sure it is. I don't know if our church would be what it is without Oren Wright. That, first the blade, then the ear, then the corn in the ear. Listen, what he was saying is, don't underestimate the blade. Some of us look at it and go, so little. But you know what, God, he said to me, the Lord is encouraging you today. Hear me out. I'm flipping this back. The Lord is encouraging you today. You know the area. Be encouraged. First the blade, then the ear, then the corn. Full corn in the ear. Give it time. Trust the Lord. Stay aligned. Let's see what God can do. In fact, let's trust what God can do. It may be something he does, and we're not even here to see it. So we're going to close when we do the song is about trusting God. There might be an area where you're feeling resonance. And the Lord is saying to you, trust me in this difficult place that you may find, or this spot, or this space, or this person. I don't know. But let the song, see, after we have our time of giving, let the song that we close with sort of be the, a, min, a point of ministering around what we've just shared. But let me go ahead and pray. So even now, Lord, I thank you again 
for the, the power of this word and what it has meant and, and in terms of just the, the idea of, of the gradual development of what you can do as we are f faithful to, to try to honor you with things in our lives, that we should not underestimate the, the power of this message and the impact that it can bring and also the small things that often look like nothing, what, what they ultimately can become over time in ways we cannot see nor understand. Help us, Lord, give us faith for what we can see. Give us faith for what we cannot see. Help us to be encouraged, not discouraged, but encouraged to pursue you and to stay with you and to trust you and to pray into things. I ask for this blessing. Bless each one of us. I ask this in the name of Jesus, and I, I pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray it. Amen. God. <laughs>